All right, well, we're going to be continuing in our message series on the hard teachings of Jesus. If you've ever read the Gospels before, you know that Jesus uh, never shied away from teaching really hard truths. In fact, it seemed like uh, he was drawn to these hard truths. He hit these hard teachings very often, often uh, times in the Scriptures. And so as we come across these at New Life, we don't, we don't want to avoid them. We don't want to gloss over these really hard teachings. We actually want to kind of push into them because what we're finding, this is week four of the series, what we're finding is that these hard teachings of Jesus are actually chock full of spiritual gold. I mean, just these amazing truths that most of us just kind of skim over because they're hard to understand or they're hard to apply or whatever. So this morning we're going to be in Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and head over there. And uh, we're going to start in verse 49. This is Jesus' teaching, and so we'll pick up right there. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And so as Jesus begins this really difficult teaching with kind of this really cryptic, hard to understand, this statement about fire coming down on the earth, something about him being baptized and being really distressed about whatever this event is. And you kind of read that and you think, man, what, what was Jesus talking about here? Well, Jesus was, who was actually looking forward, uh, looking ahead to his own crucifixion. In the scriptures, fire was always symbolic of God's coming judgment or wrath. And baptism was a picture of uh, his death, that he would die on the cross for our behalf, but he wouldn't stay dead, that he would rise again, right? And so that's why when we baptize people up here, as we did, just did a couple of weeks ago, when we put somebody under the water, we don't leave them under the water, right? We bring them up, just like Christ rose from the dead. And what Jesus was saying was, look, I came to absorb all of God's judgment. I came to absorb all of God's wrath that was intended for you. All of his judgment that you deserved. I'm going to take it all and then I'm going to be baptized into death. But I'm not going to stay there. I'm actually going to rise again. And so Jesus was actually distressed as he was thinking about the pain and the suffering that he was about to endure on the cross on our behalf. And then he gets to the crux of this teaching in verse 51. And he says this, Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No! I tell you, but rather division. And you read that and you might be thinking, well, man, Chris, I thought, I thought Jesus was the prince of peace. I thought Jesus came to this world to bring peace. So how then can Jesus say that I came to bring division, to set father against son, to set daughter against mother, and so on and so forth? What in the world is Jesus getting at here? And for sure, Jesus is using shocking language here. And I think he Oftentimes in his teachings, he will use very shocking language to shock our senses and to wake us up. Because I think a lot of us just kind of live our lives over time, over the years, on autopilot. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I, 
I'm guilty of this as well. I have to fight against this. We can just get in this mindless rhythm of living life. And God never intended us to live our lives that way. And so we can just kind of get into this cycle of, man, we wake up, we go to work for eight or nine hours or whatever it is. We come home, we have dinner, we just kind of veg out and watch Netflix, whatever it is. We go to sleep, we wake up, wash, rinse, repeat. And we just get in this cycle, this mindless kind of autopilot cycle. And we, we can really begin to live our lives like robots instead of fully alive human beings. And I think Jesus is just, he's trying to wake us up from this daze that so many of us find ourselves in during the course of life. I think Jesus was also, he was drawing a line in the sand. And he was saying, look, when people follow me, division will be inevitable because the gospel is offensive. My gospel is offensive. And so anything that's offensive is gonna create division. The gospel is offensive because at its core, the gospel says that God came to save you, right? God came to save you because you were so messed up that you couldn't save yourself, that Jesus came to live a perfect life because you couldn't do it, that he died on the cross because you're so sinful that you actually deserve to die that death. Now, that is an offensive message in our culture, isn't it? It's just offensive, especially in our culture where we're sort of encouraged to think of ourselves and think of everybody else as just kind of intrinsically good people, right? You hear it all the time. There's like an axe murderer on TV, and they interview like his cousins and brothers, like, oh, well, he was a good heart. He was a good-hearted man. You know, I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what happened, right? Everybody's a good person in our culture. And Jesus steps onto the scene, and he's like, nope, no, you're not. You are messed up. You are a sinner, and you are heading for the judgment and the wrath of God. But because I love you, I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to give you freedom, and I'm going to give you life instead of slavery and death, which is what you deserve. Just as a aside here, because, listen, the gospel is offensive enough on its own. So I just want to talk to the believers, the Christ followers in the room for just a second. Because it is that offensive on its own, God doesn't need you to add to its offensiveness. <laughs> In other words, you don't need to be a jerk. Right? You don't feel like you have to be like the truth crusader on Facebook and argue with everybody about everything. Don't feel like you've got to correct somebody every time they say something that you know is not true. You don't have to beat people over the head with your Bible. Just love people, share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with them, and that is offensive enough on its own. Don't, don't, so listen, don't, don't get one of those turn or burn bumper stickers and put it on your car. <laughs> don't do that. If you're going to do that, take the New Life sticker off, and, and then you can put the turn or burn bumper sticker off. Matthew records a, a parallel teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. This will be on the screens for you. But the, this is Jesus, again, teaching in Matthew's gospel. And he says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, or your translation may say division there. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake 
will find it. Again, Jesus was saying that when people follow me, it's inevitable, it's inevitable, it's unavoidable that conflict and division will arise. It's a side effect of the gospel. It's a side effect of following Jesus. Now, some of you have experienced this, I know, in your lives in tangible ways. For some of you, you came to faith in Jesus and your families were not happy about it. They did not throw a party when you came home and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm getting baptized next Sunday. They were not happy. They didn't celebrate with you. So for, for some of you, you've felt that tension. You've experienced that division when you follow Jesus in your own family. Now, one of the things I love about New Life is we have people from met so many different backgrounds, uh, which is, I think, something that makes New Life such an, a unique and amazing place. But it's, uh, it's fascinating to me how many former Catholics I meet uh, that God has brought to New Life. I mean, it seems like um, every other person I meet here comes out of a Catholic background. And some of you have, have shared with me your stories that when you decided to follow Jesus, when you decided to follow his word over a religious institution or a church tradition, that your family was angry with you. There were tears that were shed. There were arguments that were had. It created great strife and division in your home. It created conflict in your family. And so for those of you who come from that background, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about here because you've lived it out. You've experienced it to some degree in your own family. Now, in many places in the world, following Jesus can cause a type of division that actually leads to persecution. I had a friend in, uh, in Asia when we lived over there who was, who was a young man, and, and he was a Muslim. And so there were some young college students who went over there in the summer um, doing some mission work. And so they struck up a friendship with this young guy, this Muslim guy in his early 20s, and they began to share the gospel with him. They just began to tell him, hey, let, let us tell you what God is really like. Like, like, we don't think God hates you. We think God loves you, that he loves you so much that he actually sent Jesus down the cross to give you freedom in this life and in eternity. And so this young man heard the gospel. He took it in. He began to believe it. And he got excited about it. And he got baptized. And he was super excited to go home to his home island and tell his family about this amazing thing that God had done in his life. And he goes home. And do you think that his family was excited for him? No, they excommunicated him. They said, you're dead, you're dead to us. You're not, our, you're not our son anymore. And he had a little young uh, sibling, a little, uh, a little sister that just adored him, and he adored her. And, uh, man, his heart was just ripped out. He couldn't see his little sister. He didn't see her for years. Finally, he decided to go home. He thought, man, maybe things have settled down, and I'll go home, and I want to see my little sister. And he goes home, and he walks in the door, and right when he walks in the door, he's greeted with a shoe flying about 100 miles an hour, slaps him right in the face. His uncle had taken his shoe off and just threw it at him. You're dead to me. You're dead to us. You're not a part of our family. Get out of here. Do you think that this teaching from Jesus made sense to my friend? Like for a lot of us, we live in such a, such a cushioned culture that we read stuff like this. We read these teachings and we're like, man, what is Jesus talking about? We've never had to sacrifice for following him. But the reality is much of the rest of the world has experienced this. This teaching makes perfect sense to them. And the reality is my friend was lucky in many ways. See, there are many people around the world. They know, they know when they follow Jesus, when they make that decision, they are basically signing their own death certificates. Not only will they be disowned by their families, but it is often their own families who will come after them and attempt to kill them. That is a reality. That is the reality for millions of people in the world today. 
following Jesus can cost them literally everything. Now listen, if we're being honest this morning, the question for many of us isn't if we'll die for Jesus, is it? For most of us, that's not a threat. We're not like, man, if I, if I follow Jesus and I get baptized, my family may kill me next week in my sleep. Or there may be a mob from my neighborhood that drags me out in the middle of the street and burns me alive. For most of us, the question isn't, man, will we die for our faith in Jesus? For far too many of us, the question is simply this, will you live for him in the small things? Amen. Right? I mean, are you, are you living in community? Are you in a community group? We've been instructed to live in community as Christians, to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith. Do you do that? We're commanded to, to give regularly and sacrificially to God. Do you do that? Or do you cling to your money with a vice grip because at the end of the day, you really don't trust God to take care of you? Are you at least willing to, to go on a short-term mission trip? We just had a, a small team return from Clarkson, Georgia yesterday where they were loving and serving the refugees right outside of Atlanta. Are you willing to do that? Have you been baptized scripturally the way that Jesus says that we should be baptized after we become followers of him? See, the truth is a lot of us won't even follow Jesus in the small and the easy things. And I think Jesus was challenging those people in his day that, that wanted to follow him. And I think he's challenging us this morning because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Are you willing to align your life around Jesus and his kingdom? Now, I've got to be honest with you. This teaching used to really bother me. It used to really bother me when I was a new believer. And I'd read passages like this. And I'm like, man, how could Jesus tell us to to love him more than we love our, our kids, our, our parents, our spouses. And even as I was studying it this week, I was troubled by this. And I even, I had to spend some time praying and asking God, like, God, will you, will you help me to love you more than I love my family? Will you help me love you more than I love anything else? Because this is a really hard teaching for, for at least for me, probably for most of us, because I love, listen, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family a whole lot. And as I sat there and I was examining, man, do I love Jesus more than I love my wife? Do I love Jesus more than I love my kids? I was really troubled by the answer. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I do. And so my prayer was, God, help me. Give me that level of love for you. I want to love you above everything else in my world. But this truth helped me as I was wrestling with it. Maybe it'll help you too. And this is our first big truth this morning from the text. It's this, the greatest way to love your family is to love Jesus more. The greatest way to love your family is to love Jesus more. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface of it. But here's the reality. My, my wife, Cheryl, she needs Jesus through me. My wife doesn't need Chris Dillon in my flesh. She needs Jesus in me. My three kids need to see Jesus in their daddy. Look, I, I know who I am apart from Christ. My family doesn't need that guy. They don't need that guy. That guy is gonna cause more harm than good. They need a husband and a daddy that is sold out for Jesus, that's living for him, that's loving them the way that Jesus loves them. That will change their lives. So if I really love my wife, if I really love my kids, the most loving thing I can do for them is to love Jesus more than I love anything else in this world. Now that's the paradox of following Jesus, that in laying down our lives, we find our lives. 
That by losing our lives for Jesus, we get everything that really matters in this life. And so when Jesus says, look, you, you've got to love me more than you love your mom, more than you love your dad, your wife, your husband, your children, you've got to love me more than that, or you're not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus isn't saying, I don't think, I want you to love your family less. He isn't saying, I want you to love them less. He's saying, I want you to love me more. I want you to love me so much more that your love for anything else in comparison to your love for me would maybe even look like hatred to the rest of the world. Remember uh, last year, uh, my five-year-old son, he's four at the time, uh, got really sick. And uh, Judah has asthmatic tendencies. And so whenever he gets a cold, even we have to really keep an eye on him because it can affect his breathing. And, um, and so he was sick, and one night I heard Cheryl uh, upstairs with him, and she was calling down for me to come up. And I could hear the anxiety in her, in her voice. And I got up there, and Judah was sitting on the bathroom counter, and the little guy was just fighting for breath. I mean, he was just, you could hear it. He was fighting just to get the oxygen in his body. I mean, he was, he was really scared. His eyes were big. He knew something wasn't right. And, um, and I don't panic easily, but I started to panic and I was like, man, what do, I, do I call 911? No, it's going to take too long for the ambulance to get here. And then we're still going to have to drive to the hospital. And so we ran downstairs and we threw him in the car and turned my flashers on. And we were flying in the middle of the night to the ER. And as I was flying down this road, uh, a, little, a little bunny jumped right in front of my car. Now, if you don't know that, you may not know this about me, but I, 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 I'm an animal lover. I, I, I love animals. Um, I've always had, grew up with animals, and uh, typically when I'm driving and a little animal runs out in front of my car, uh, I slow down and let it pass, or I stop and, and I let it pass, um, because animals are, you know, cute little cuddly-looking things, and they're part of God's creation, and so I want to care for them as I, as I can. Um, so I just, you know, I just, I love, I love animals, um, except for cats. I don't really love cats, but generally speaking, <laughs> I love animals. And, but my son was dying in the back seat of my car. Do you think that I stopped for that rabbit? I didn't even consider slowing down for a millisecond. Now, you say, why? You just said that you loved animals. Why would you just run right over that rabbit? Because in comparison to my love for my son, my love for animals is like nothing comparison to how much I love my son Judah, my love for animals could be perceived as hatred, right? So somebody was standing out there on the road, they saw me just blast over that little rabbit. They're like, that dude hates rabbits. No, I don't. I love rabbits. I don't, I don't hate rabbits. I just love my son so much more than I love that rabbit that it could be perceived as hatred. So I ran right over that little bunny and I didn't even think twice about it. And here's what Jesus was saying, and this is the next truth I want us to kind of press into this morning. Believer, you must love Jesus more than everything to be his disciple. That's what he says, isn't it? That's hard. That's really hard. Jesus says, you got to love me more than you love anything else to be my disciple. you got to love me more than your family. you got to love me more than you love your money. you got to love me more than you love your comfort. you got to love me more than everything else to be my disciple. Now I'll read this story from you from uh, Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus really drives home this point, and uh, this will also be on the screens for you. Matthew chapter 8 says, uh, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Now, pause right there for just a moment. Now, you would think Jesus would be really excited about this scribe, right? Scribes were religious leaders in that day. They probably had a great deal of influence in their culture. You'd think Jesus would be like, finally, somebody who gets it. Like, disciples, are y'all paying attention to this guy? He just said he would follow me wherever I go. This, this is great news. But that's not what Jesus says. We'll pick up in verse 20. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, if I didn't know any better, I would think Jesus was like trying to talk these guys out of following him. I mean, just, just imagine if somebody came to, to New Life and they were super influential in Asheville, our community. Perhaps they were very wealthy and they said, uh, came up after uh, one service and they said, Chris, look, you're, you're my dude. I'm going to hitch my wagon to you. Uh, I'm going to join the church. I want to serve here. I want to give very generously to the church. I'm in. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. And imagine if I just looked at this person and said, you know what, thanks, man, but um, you might want to reconsider that. You might want to reconsider. There's a bunch of other churches around here. You might want to consider one of those churches. That would seem crazy, wouldn't it? Would it seem crazy to that person? It would seem crazy to you? It would seem crazy to me? And yet, that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. And right in the middle of this conversation, another guy walks up, and he says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you too. But I just need to, let me go bury my, my father first. And Jesus says what? Let the dead bury their own dead. As for you, you follow me. Now that just seems downright mean, doesn't it? That, just seem, that seems harsh and that seems cruel. Uh, as I was studying this week, some biblical scholars argue that you know, it was likely that this guy's father uh, wasn't dead yet. It was likely that he was very old, he was very sick. And the guy was really saying to Jesus, uh, Jesus, let me, let me go out, let me go home, let me hang out at home until my father dies. And then I can bury him. I'll get my portion of his inheritance. And then I'll come and follow you. And then I'll be a great asset to you and your kingdom. And Jesus just refuses to lower the bar. He's like, listen, you got to love me. You have to love me more than you love anything else. And ultimately, Jesus is telling these guys to count the cost. Jesus is saying, look, even wild animals have places to sleep at night. And I don't even know where I'm going to sleep from, from night to night. I don't know what I'm going to eat from day to day. Do you really want to follow me? Do you know what you're asking for? Do you realize that this could cost you your family? This could cost you your comfort, your friends. This could even cost you your life. If you follow me, you've got to love me more than you love anything else. What he was saying to these guys is, look, you, you got to make sure that you're not just a fan you got to make sure that you're just not a fanboy because I'm doing all these miracles and, I'm, and I'm, I'm feeding you bread and doing all these incredible things. And so you're awestruck and it's like this rock star syndrome. you got to make sure that you're not just a fan. you got to make sure that you're willing to go the distance to be my disciple. The great church father, Augustine, in his book, City of Angels, uh, he talks a lot about reordering the loves in our lives. And his thesis in that book is basically that the only way we can find happiness in our lives is by reordering the loves in our life. It's by reordering what we love in our lives. And what he says is, unless God is at the top of that list, everything else in our life begins to crumble and fall apart. Everything else. And that is precisely what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, love me first, 
love me most, and in so doing, you will find your life. Again, that's the paradox of God's kingdom. The third big truth this morning is this. There is a cost to following Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. There is a cost to following Jesus. There just is. Now listen, my story isn't, isn't unique by a long shot. But when I gave my life to Jesus as a sophomore in college, I literally lost every friend that I had on that campus. And it was painful at the time, and it was lonely at the time, and I wasn't, I wasn't happy about all of that. Thankfully, my, my parents were supportive, and so I didn't lose my family, but I lost about everything else in my life at that time. Now, God, in his goodness, over time, he replaced those friends that I lost with even, even better friends. He gave me an incredible wife that's so out of my league that it's not even funny. But there was and there is a cost to following Jesus. And I think one of the dangers that we've seen in our church culture for the last three or four decades is this idea of easy believism. And by that, I mean, you can go into so many churches today, and the message is kind of like this. Hey, if you would rather go to heaven than hell, raise your hand. Like, who's not going to raise their hand, right? Like, I would rather go to heaven than hell, right? Wouldn't you? And so you kind of raise your hand. They're like, boom, you're in. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a Christian now. And I think Jesus would kind of look at that kind of stuff in our culture, in our church culture, and he would say, what in the world is this? What is this? This isn't my gospel. This isn't what I taught. Following me is not just a get out of hell free card so that you can go back to your old life unchanged and never give me a second thought again. Everything in life has a cost. The old adage that anything in life worth having will cost you something, it's true, is it not? Marriage, awesome, costly. Having kids, incredible, very, very costly. (laughs) Following Jesus, no different. It is costly. And that leads us right into our final truth uh, this morning from Jesus' teaching. It's this. Jesus is worth the cost. Jesus is worth the cost. There's a story in the Gospels where a man is wandering around a field and he stumbles across this treasure of great value. And the scriptures tell us that he takes that treasure and he buries it in that field that's for sale. And I would imagine he kind of looks around to make sure that nobody saw him bury that very valuable treasure. And then the scriptures tell us that he goes home and he sells everything that he owns so that he could go buy that little dinky field out in the country. And his family and his friends probably thought that he was crazy. Like, man, why are you selling your house and your, your car and your phone and everything else? Why are you selling everything you So you go buy this little dinky field. But it did not matter to that guy because he knew how valuable that treasure was. Jesus is that treasure friend. Following him may cost you everything, and he is worth it a million times over. He's the source of life. He's freedom. He's peace. He's joy. He's worth all of it. I can remember my, when I started my senior year in college, uh, I had had my eye uh, on this beautiful girl who was on the swim team uh, that grew up in Africa. And I had my eye on her for about a year. And I kept trying to meet her. And I kept trying to get our mutual friends to connect us. And and things kept falling through. And uh, I didn't know if I would ever get a a shot at her. Um, The reality was, 
just about every other guy on campus wanted a shot at her too. So I was, I was talking to a couple other girls um, at the time, and, and don't judge me. We weren't dating. We were just, we we're just friends. I can feel some of your glares. And, and, then, it, and, then, and, then, it, and then it happened. One day I struck up a conversation uh, with this beautiful swimmer girl in the gym, and I mustered up somehow by the Holy Spirit's power enough courage to ask her out, and amazingly she said yes. And as soon as that happened, as soon as we started dating and she became my girlfriend, those other girls that I, were, that I was talking to, they were dead to me. I mean, I just completely broke off all communication. Like they would, they would call and say, hey, do you want to hang out? I'm like, nope, I found the girl that I'm going to marry. Like, what? What are you talking about? We're just hanging out last week. Nope, I found the girl that I'm going to marry. Like, Chris, you're crazy. Yeah, I'm crazy in love. Now I found the girl that I'm going to marry. And I did end up marrying that girl. Now I promise you, when I started dating Cheryl, I wasn't thinking, dang, you are my dream girl and you are the answers to my prayers, but this is going to cost me. This is going to cost me Jennifer and Susan and Brandy. Like, <laughs> so I'm not really sure, like, if, I, if you're worth that cost. I promise you that wasn't the thought that went through my mind. Like, she was the treasure in that field, and I gladly gave up every girl in the world for her. Treasures of high value are always worth the cost. Jesus is worth the cost, friend. There's nothing better in this world than having a relationship with the creator of this universe. There's nothing like knowing that you have perfect peace with God, that he's your heavenly dad, that he knows you intimately and he loves you anyway. There's nothing like that. It will change your life forever. And listen to me, it is not always easy and it is not always comfortable, but it is always infinitely worth it. I want to close with this quote from Augustine. He said this, you have made us for yourself. He's talking about God here. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads with me just for a moment as we close. And I want to ask you a question to consider. And I want you to be really, really honest with yourself just, just for a moment, right? Nobody's listening in on your conversation with God. Nobody's judging you. This is just between you and God. The question is this, is your heart restless? Are you unsettled in your life, in your spirit? Are you really following Jesus? Do you really love him above everything else? Because Jesus just said, you can't be my disciple unless you love me more than anything else. Do you say you love him, but then refuse to reorient your life around him? Is he the king of your world? Is he the Lord of your life? Not, not talking about a nice little add-on to make you feel good about yourself. Not talking about a get out of hell free card. But are you reordering your life, your time, your resources, your schedule around Jesus and his kingdom? If you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're not yet a disciple, I want you to know that today could be the day that changes the rest of your days. He invites you to count the cost and then to choose to follow him anyway and to find in him everything that your heart, everything that your soul desires and seeks after. 
And I would just guess for some of you, you're here and you're a follower of Jesus. You maybe have been a Christian for a long time, but maybe it's time for you to recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you've known him since you were a little kid. And as the years have passed by, as the decades have passed by, your heart has drifted. You've wandered away from your first love. Maybe it's time to reorder the loves in your life. To put Jesus at the top. And to find your life by losing it in him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, your teachings are really hard sometimes. They're really hard, Jesus, but they're always true. And you teach us hard truths because you love us and you love us deeply, God. So would you, would you help us to love you more than anything else, God? We can't muster that type of love in our own strength. We even need you to help us love you. So God, help us love you. Help us to count the cost and then help us to, to find you as our highest treasure in this world, as our supreme treasure in this life, God. We love you. And we ask it all in the name that is above every other name in this world, the name of Jesus. Amen.